We started on our journey together with a paranormal investigation at Eloise Asylum. We left the asylum eager to learn the truth. We bought our own equipment and decided to document our findings. And we're here to share them with you. I'm Melissa. I'm Mandy. Welcome to our paranormal experience. everyone, welcome back. If you're over the age of 30, you probably recognize that audio as Carol Ann from the Poltergeist movie. I am over 30 and I definitely remember that. It was very scary. Poltergeist is a movie about, well, a poltergeist. A family moves into a home and supposedly it's on an ancient burial ground. They're plagued by poltergeist activity. Their daughter, Carol Ann, goes missing And she's able to communicate with them through the white noise, the white static in the TV. Which is so cool, right? Like today we use the static on paranormal investigations. When I first saw it, I was 11. And I do remember talking to my friends about it and thinking that it was scary. And the visual effects were good at that time. Like I've watched it within the last five or six years, and I find it kind of cheesy. But for that time, especially when the the guy ate the chicken and then he peeled his face off, like, that was scary when you were 11. Right. And the time that we're talking about is 1982. This was definitely different than all the other movies I had seen. It was, to me, it was the first of its kind, kind of. I don't know. I think so. Maybe it was just because I was little, but... It could be. You know, my mom took my sister and I to that movie. Like, she actually took us to the movies to watch it. So that is how old I am. It's funny because my friends, like, my mom wouldn't take me to that movie, but we didn't think anything of it. It was just, we like scary movies. My parents actually did let me watch this movie, which was insane. It was the only scary movie that I watched If you hear noises, it's Mandy's cat. But it was the only scary movie that I watched as a child. I wasn't allowed to watch like any slasher movies or anything like that. I was allowed to watch this and that was it. Me and my son, we we watched all three of these. There's three of them the other day. And he liked him too, you know, being young. He does kind of have a personality where he's like, oh, this is really good for when it was made. But it was strange because... One of the first, in the first part of the movie, it's so strange to see people even smoking cigarettes, right? Like, we used to see that when we were young. We see people smoking cigarettes on TV all the time. Yeah. But now you just do not see that. So it's weird to watch it again today, and the parents are smoking weed in their bedroom with the bedroom door open, Mm -hmm. and they're rolling it, and my son is like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, they're rolling their own cigarettes, you know, because he's young still. And it's just so weird to see that on TV. It is. But, I mean, it was at the movies, though, right? You know, I feel like what they allowed at the movies was more than what they would allow on, like, if it was playing on regular TV. You know what I mean? Right. And this movie was also rated PG. 
Yes, which is probably, looking back, why my mom took us to go see it. Well, at the time, it was just a few years before the PG-13 rating existed. Yes, you are So correct. you were either, it was either PG or R. Because yes. my mom didn't take us to rated R movies. And there's no way it would be PG today. I mean, it would be PG-13. It would be PG-13. Yeah. Which, honestly, I find most PG-13 movies, like today, scarier than a lot of the rated R movies. Weird, well, because you don't always need all the violence and all the gore. It's the suspense, right? The suspense is what's really scary when well, it comes down to it. Also, I think what makes the movies rated R is the gratuitous boob scenes and stuff like that. Which and the I'm swearing. Sure, yeah, I'm sure some people appreciate, but it doesn't make it any scarier. Right, and swearing doesn't make anything scarier no. either, right? It's, it's got to have suspense. It's yeah. suspense. It's funny because you were talking about the fried chicken scene. And I would think of that when somebody fed me fried chicken. Oh. So that really stuck with me. Yeah, it did. And I mean, I would have to eat it because, you know, this was a time, this was, you know, 80s, early 90s. You had to sit at the kitchen table till you finished your dinner. And, um, or at least you did in my house. Yeah, so like I had to eat it and I did not want to eat fried chicken. Yeah, I can see that. You know the part about the movie that always made me a little bit afraid after? Because like back then... The TVs would go off the air like that like if you didn't have cable, right? TVs didn't oh, they, run. Oh, they would. The national anthem would come on and the TV would get static. But anytime, like, no matter what, if the TV got static, it reminded me of it. So as much as I enjoyed the Poltergeist movie, I did not realize until just recently that it is unofficially based on the Herman family haunting. I had never heard of that either until you brought it up. The Herman family haunting took place in 1958. And the movie Poltergeist was released in 1982. But, I mean, clearly the movie goes way beyond the Herman family haunting. James Herman, 43, worked for Air France. Lucille Herman, 38, was a non-practicing registered nurse. And they had two children, Jimmy and Lucy. I found it strange. I just think you don't see it a lot. They named their children after them. So in order to keep things clear, we're going to call them James, Lucille, Jimmy, and Lucy. But really, it's James, Lucille, James, and Lucille. People still do it for their sons, right? So they're, you know, they carry on the name. But I think back in the older days... They did name the daughters after the moms, which is odd by today's standards, I think, or different. The activity started for the family on February 4th, 1958. Lucille and their children were in their Long Island home. While James was at work at Air France, 30 miles away, they began to hear popping noises. They compared these to the sound of champagne corks. And it was just popping noises all over the house. I don't know what I would think if there was just champagne cork noises coming from like every side of my house. It would be It would weird. be freaky. I mean, and how many champagne bottles would you have with corks in it? Like realistically, right? So- well, and these weren't champagne bottles, but I think that they, they must have been corked. Upon investigation, they found that multiple bottles of different types of liquid that were just around their house had popped their tops. One of these bottles of liquid, which I don't know, maybe this used to be more common. 
was holy water. And I was just wondering how many people at that time kept holy water just around their house. I don't know. I've never seen a holy water at anybody's house. I haven't either. I feel like if I went to a priest's house, I wouldn't see holy water. I could be wrong. But all of the tops from around the house just popped. And this is how this poltergeist earned its name, Popper the Poltergeist. (laughs) That's a funny name. (laughs) That's cute. I like it. So when this happened, Lucille freaked out, right? I would freak out. Yeah. And she called her husband and asked him, like, what's going on? And he's like, I don't know. I'm 30 miles away. I'm assuming she thought, like, maybe there was something he could, a way that he could explain it. After he calmed her down, he convinced her not to tell anyone. Because... He was afraid people would think they were crazy or... Maybe, but his first assumption was that it was a kid pulling a prank. So he probably thought, like, oh, she thinks this is paranormal, but it's just kids pulling a prank. Like, I don't want her going around town telling everybody. The family just kind of went on with their lives until February 7th when it happened again. So it's three days later? Yes. Okay. February 9th was a Sunday. It was, and this was in the morning. It was a Sunday morning. And James was home this time. He was standing in the bathroom doorway as Jimmy brushed his teeth. And he watched a bottle of medicine move across the sink top about 18 inches and crash into the sink. You know what my thought is? Because I I watched this happen to me one time. It wasn't 18 inches, but I had a bottle of medicine, like a little prescription pill bottle of something, and I had it sitting next to the sink on the counter, and there was water on the counter, and it must have gotten under the bottle just right. Oh, and it moved And it it slid across the counter. I wouldn't say it slid 18 inches, but it it slid a couple inches. Like, I watched it do it. And a bottle of shampoo did the same thing on the opposite side of the sink. But instead of crashing into the sink, it crashed into the floor. That does sound like a bit more force. James. Herman knew that no one had touched the bottles. And so this is the first time he kind of started to freak out, right? There's been two instances. He wasn't home for either of them of bottles popping around the house. And now he's actually saw something move. This is what makes this story a little bit more believable to me than like previous that we've talked about. Because usually I'm the more skeptical one and I'm like, oh, I don't really, I don't really believe in the haunting in this, you know. So they called the police. And to me, like, that's what you would do, right? (laughs) Even though they can't really help you. I don't know if that's what I would do today after I've been paranormal investigating for a while. But before I had been paranormal investigating, I would have called the police. Because what else do you do? I mean, I think it makes sense for that time. They wouldn't know who to call. The patrolman who answered the call, James Hughes, admits that he's gotten kooky calls before, but never from the Herman family. Actually, Mr. Herman was well known in the area. He was even a reserve captain of the police department. So I feel like he works at Air France. He's a reserve captain of the of the police department. His wife is a registered nurse. Not that 
people with, you know, regular good careers can't be liars or kooks. But it just seems – it gives them a bit more credibility, right? Like they have less reason. I think so, especially with his affiliation with the police force. I would feel like, especially at that time, he wouldn't want to put himself out there to say that he thinks that his house is haunted. I feel right. like that would be really hard for him. Right. He's to probably say. really trying to like save face here. Yeah. Right. He doesn't want to be like the laughing stock or the kook. Patrolman Hughes arrived to the home and supposedly even saw the bottles popping himself. So at this point, they don't know what to do. So they assign a detective to the case. Joseph Tazi, who was known for his sharp mind and keen attention to detail, was the detective that was assigned to the case. One important thing about Joseph Tazi was he did not believe in the supernatural. So do you think when he got this case, he thought he was going to solve it and figure it all out and tell them it's not a ghost? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you could just imagine, like, I just imagine, like, a voice from, like, an old movie, like, Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, we got a ghost. Wait. We'll have this on, we'll have this solved in the, in a double. Yeah, and he'll, he's, like, smoking a, a cigar. Cigar. He has a hat on. Yeah, you have to have the hat on. <laughs> I can see it. Can't not have the hat on. <laughs> now, there were other incidents of bottles popping around the house, and in one incident, a bottle of holy water was found to be hot. So th- at that point, they started actually paying attention to the temperature of the bottles mm-hmm. because if something heats up, it'll expand, right? And of course, it will pop its top. Right. But that was the only time that a bottle was observed to be hot. Okay. On February 15th, Jimmy and Lucy, the children, were sitting in the living room with an adult relative when a knickknack or porcelain figure flew into the air, moved three feet, and then just fell onto the rug. On February 17th, Father William McClout came to the family's home and blessed it. They talked about exercising the house, but that's something that is normally done on people and not houses and would have to be authorized by the bishop. And they just didn't, didn't think all that could happen. Okay, so they didn't even try that? They didn't ask? So I actually read conflicting things. I did read in a couple places that the house was exercised. I think that those are just kind of rumors. I don't think that it was exercised. I think that's just people adding fire to the story over the years. I could be wrong. But, you know, I did read some conflicting stuff in that area. By this time, people everywhere were aware of the strange occurrences at the Herman family home. I actually watched a show called Real Fear, The Truth Behind the Movies. It was really interesting. Like they went through a lot of Long Island hauntings and they were exploring the thought that Long Island could potentially all be in burial ground. So, Long Island makes me think of Amityville. Yes. This was, I believe, 15 minutes from Amityville. Okay. There's quite a few hauntings in that area. Did they ever research that or prove that? So, I just Googled it. There are a ton of articles about 
burial grounds on Long Island. Yeah, and it looks like there are many apparently Native American tribes that used to reside on, and I think some still do reside possibly on Long Island. I guess when I think of Long Island, I just think of like New York City, you know? Oh, I thought you were going to say iced tea. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's Andy. (laughs) It's Friday night. So the show also covers some of the stuff that happened in that area that is kind of well known. It was really interesting and it was free to watch. I forget what streaming platform it was on. It was on like a smaller one. Definitely worth a watch. So at this point, people are really getting word, right? It's been on the news. It's been in the newspapers. It's been all over the newspapers. I run I read tons and tons of old newspaper articles on this. I mean, they were really following it to a T. So letters are pouring into the family. Some are mean and say things like, repent, (laughs) you know, (laughs) imagine getting that in the mail. Others are, you know, people with suggestions and some very valid suggestions. And they actually did try some of the things that people suggested. Like there was a woman who suggested to put something over the chimney Because potentially like drafts coming through the fireplace and like suction created by a fireplace could be moving things in the home. And they did try that. So there was some very helpful suggestions as well. Journalists and news crews started coming to the home and just staying there all the time. And it just it started turning into like a huge media thing. But at the same time, the family wasn't asking for money they only seemed to be asking for help. Does anybody have any suggestions? Does anybody know anybody that can stop this? Things like that. One day there was a man that came and everyone thought he was a journalist. And he was in a blue suit. He threw himself down onto his knees and said that he was a holy man. And he prayed for 10 minutes and then said, everything is all right. You have been forgiven. And then just got up and left. No explanation. Just got up and left. So they don't even know what they were forgiven for? No, but the activity continued, so... He didn't help. Whatever he was doing, it didn't work. So like I said, they did put the metal cap on the chimney, but it didn't work. And it was just a few days before another knickknack flew into the air and actually smashed against the wall. And this is while Detective Tazi was in the home. Oh, that's interesting. A physicist, Robert Zider, came to the house with dowsing rods, and he thought that streams of water beneath the house might be causing the issues. Some people suggested sonic booms, radio signals. The Long Island Lighting Company even set up an oscilloscope in the family's basement. So I just googled oscilloscope because I had no clue what it was. It's used to test voltage signals as waveforms. So you can see a representation of the voltage. It didn't explain any of the activity. So I'm assuming all of these theories that they have, like with the water and everything, the neighbors Mm. were not having any issues. As far as I know, yes. Okay. For some reason on February 20th, Popper the Poltergeist was just more active than normal. Bottle of ink popped, flew around and smashed into the wall, a knickknack smashed into a desk, And a sugar bowl flew off the table. Lucy, the daughter of the family, Mm -hmm. in her interview on the show that I was speaking about earlier, Real Fear, the truth behind the movies, said that something seemed to happen 
every 30 seconds that day. That is relentless. I can't even imagine. If that were true, it's basically like the Poltergeist movie when they when they open the door to the bedroom and all of the kids' toys, everything in the room is just swirling around in a circle. That would get frightening and, and tiring. This was the only time that the family was so frightened that they left the house. Nothing happened while the family was gone and nothing happened at the house of the family member that they were visiting. Everything was just quiet. How long had they lived in the house before the activity? So from my understanding, it was a while. Okay. It wasn't like they moved in and it just started. They had been there. And one day, all of a sudden, everything just changed. So I wonder if it did have something to do with the children. They say that poltergeists feed off of emotions. Well, it is suspected that it had to do with the son, Jimmy. He seemed to be present for the majority of the activity. It seemed to be near him, if not directly involving him. And some people thought that it was a hoax perpetuated by Jimmy. Could be. There was just so many witnesses in this case to the paranormal activity that I feel like that's really hard. I mean, they had a they had a detective. Like, a detective couldn't figure out that it's a kid. Yeah, that's far-fetched to think that he couldn't figure that out. I wonder if it did have to do with him. And, you know, when you read these cases with the kids and the teenagers, most of them, they're not aware that they're causing it or they're attracting something. Right. You know, it's not to say he was doing it on purpose. On February 25th, a figure of the Virgin Mary was in an unoccupied room when it flew into a mirror, which was 12 feet from where the figurine was originally sitting. And it dented the wooden mirror frame that it hit. So that would imply a lot of force. I always think that all of the haunting stories, they feel a little bit scarier when they start involving religious items. Because it's always in the movies, right? Like, every time. Every time. (laughs) So letters kept pouring in, and some even suggested that they open their house to the public and charge admission, which they did not do. But it's funny to me because that's what we do today. Like if we, we do do that today, yeah, especially at that time, if they did that, that would have completely invalidated all of their claims. People would just say that they're just trying to get rich off of it. Right. They did open their home to anyone that had some sort of qualification and thought that they could help. The phone at their house started ringing on average 75 times a day. Oh my gosh. So imagine you have a poltergeist. Chaos in your home. You just want to be working, taking care of your family. Your house is full of people. Everything is going on and you answer the phone and somebody is screaming, repent. I would be a crazy person at that point. And you know what's interesting is, you know, the people that would say that, you know, just to assume that something that they don't understand is evil. Or that the family just did something Right, to, to create make it, it to make it evil, yeah, like they were doing to create it on purpose. It. And they said a lot of them were just people just calling and hanging up. Like, what is the what is the thrill in hearing somebody and just someone hanging up? Maybe so you know, weird. it could. Who knows? It could have been like kids doing. I dare you to. I dare you to call the Herman family. Yeah, the haunted house. I wonder if they ever got any. It's like your refrigerator's running. <laughs> your knickknacks flying across the room. <laughs> On February 24th, a dresser, you know, like one of the taller ones. So it's a chest of drawers. Chest of drawers. 
fell forward in Jimmy's room. February 25th, a 10-pound phonograph flew across a room. They specifically named this. They named this particular incident on this particular day the case of the high fly. <laughs> One incident recorded that I don't have a date for, writer David Kahn, he was a journalist that came to the home, witnessed a globe come flying out of Jimmy's room into the living room. He then ran into the room and found Jimmy tucked into his bed. That doesn't mean Jimmy didn't throw it. He could have threw it. But he did not think that it was enough time for Jimmy to get back in bed and settled because he immediately ran into the room. People really suspected James. He was either present or the sole witness of 75% of the activity. But that being said, that other 25% had multiple witnesses, including the detectives, the police officers, and other people that came with their qualifications to try to help. Jimmy, oh, and I'm sorry, I said James earlier. I Jimmy, it's the son Jimmy. They suspected the son Jimmy. Jimmy was an honor student. He loved to build models and read science fiction. Okay, so he could get his imagination from the science fiction. But that doesn't mean he's faking. Right. That's like that's like saying, like, rock music is... Well, yeah. Or it's like saying, oh, I like horror movies. I'm so a So you murderer. kill people. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Ryan, who had a parapsychology unit at Duke University, became interested in the case and came to the house on February 25th. So we're really just, like, what, three weeks in? Yeah. That's crazy. That's a lot. In three weeks. It is. The activity ceased, and the family thought that they were in the clear. But on March 2nd, it ramped up again. A bookcase flipped. A dish flew to the ground, breaking. Flowers flew off the table. But then on March 10th, it just stopped. Almost 70 occurrences had been recorded from February 4th to March 10th. So that's the case of the Herman family haunting. So what do you think, Mandy? Do you think that it was haunted? I would lean more towards yes than no, just I feel because the same. of all of the witnesses. All of the witnesses, plus like the police involvement, you know, the detective being assigned to the case, and it was never, it was never closed. The case was never, it was never solved. The detective passed away without solving the case, and he, that wasn't, that was rare for him to not solve a case. So the family just continued to live there because it. It stopped. Like, no more in- incidences ever that you know of. Cases of poltergeist activity are actually known to be very short. Oh, okay. They generally last only one to two months. There's supposedly a curse, the poltergeist curse, on the poltergeist movie. Yes. And also some of the actors and people that worked on the set. The first incident was with Dominique Dunn. She played the oldest daughter named Dana. Dominique had left an abusive relationship with her boyfriend, John Sweeney. He wanted to get back with her, but in November of 1982, he choked her. She was taken off life support five days later. That's so terrible. She was 21 years old when she passed she was actually murdered in her driveway. Yeah, that's terrible. What year did you say that was? 1982. So it was right after the movie it came was, out. Right. So in the second movie, I believe that they had her as, like, gone to college. 
And in the third movie, they had, it was actually an entirely different scenario with like where they lived. Caroline was like visiting her aunt out of state and living with them and even going to school there. They had all different actors except for Caroline. How unfortunate. I mean, 21, she was so talented. Yeah, I mean, she was probably just getting fame from that movie and, you know, getting ready to launch her career and it was just taken away. The second person to be afflicted by the curse was Heather O'Rourke and she is the actress who played Carol Ann. She was just six years old when Poltergeist was released. Oh my god, that's so young. In 1987, she was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. That wasn't the correct diagnosis. In 1988, she got sick again. She collapsed and she was airlifted to a hospital. She died of septic shock. She had a bowel obstruction. She was 12 years old just before the release of Poltergeist 3. When I was young, I remember my dad telling me, clearly there was no internet then. Like, you couldn't just go Google something. Rumors were what people kind of relied on unless they saw it on the news. So I remember my dad telling me that she passed away, but he told me the rumor of how it happened, and he told me that she died on set. He told me that she was electrocuted in the puddle. Mm. And so that was not at all true. And I had thought that all these years, I thought that that poor little girl died on set. Oh, that's so tragic, though. That is another huge tragedy. I mean, so, so far we have two main characters both passed away, both very young. Very young. The third person that was afflicted by the curse is Julian Beck, and he played the evil preacher in Poltergeist 2. Kane. Kane. Ooh, yes. he's got such a he made such a creepy look to him. He did. He to me, he's the one that made that movie scary. I don't remember anything about that movie. It, you know, it wasn't the same as the first, obviously. Nothing ever is. But I remember him, and he was scary. However, he was diagnosed with cancer just before he accepted the role, and he passed within seven months. Which is crazy, because I think that part of the thing that made him look so creepy was that he looked frail. Like, you could see the bones in his face, and Mm -hmm. he just looked overly skinny, and he looked kind of... His coloring was kind of off, and I'm sure some of that was probably makeup. But knowing that and that he was sick that whole time makes me look at that very different. Yeah, very different. Also, just to continue working with that, what a strong person. Yeah. The next person afflicted was Will Sampson, and he was an actual medicine man who performed an actual exorcism on the set. He was 53 years old, he was Native American, and he played Taylor, the shaman in Poltergeist 2. Just a year after the movie was released, he had to get a heart and lung transplant, and he did not survive the operation. He was a very big character. And when I told my son, I told my son this part because we watched all the movies together. He was so sad because he's such a likable character in the movies. The next person was Richard Lawson. He played Ryan in the first Poltergeist movie. 
He was on a plane, um, Flight 405, in March of 1992 when the plane crashed. There were 27 people that died, but he lived. There was a first-class seat available, and he switched it last minute. The person who took his seat died in the plane crash. That says it's part of the curse, but I kind of feel like that was a little bit of a blessing for him. This was well after the movie. This was four years later. You could look at that either way, right? Either he got lucky because he switched his seat, or you can look at it like he was meant to pass away that day and just narrowly escaped death, right? I mean, which, I mean, you can look at it as good or bad. Then there was Lou Perriman. He played Pugsley, who was a worker outside in the first movie. In 2009, he was 67 years old, and he was murdered in his own home. A prisoner was released and broke into his home and killed him with an axe. Oh my god, so that one's well after the movie too. But that is something... I don't know, you would think that would be like a really rare occurrence to just have someone released from prison. Right. Break into your home and kill you with an axe. I mean, that's horrible. (laughs) It is, right? I mean, and with him and Dominique, I mean, that's two violent murders, murders, right? And he wasn't a main character, but he was definitely a memorable character. It wasn't like person on the street number five. The next person is Oliver Robbins, and he played Robbie, who was the little boy Carolyn's brother. So he's a main character. Definitely a main character. Rumor had it that he died in a car crash after the other two movie siblings passed away, but this is not true. But the clown doll, do you remember that part of the movie? I do. Horrifying. My cousin had one like it. You know what's funny? It was not one of the things that I remembered from the movie. Oh my like, god! Like I, I know it now because I just watched it. My son, before we watched it, he was like, "Is there a clown in this movie?" I was like, "No." Like, yeah, I don't. <laughs> How do you know? It's like one clown. of the things that other people remember the most, and I'm just like, "Oh, it's a clown doll." He was scary, but the creepy thing besides what happened in the movie is. That clown doll malfunctioned on the set. Robbie was choked by the doll. Um, People on the set thought he was acting when he was saying, I can't breathe. So this is like during their struggle, right? Yeah. Like they're having, okay, so Robbie and the doll are having a struggle. The doll is trying to pull him under the bed. He was screaming, I can't breathe. Finally, like, Steven Spielberg noticed that he wasn't just acting, and he stepped in to save him. I mean, that is really crazy. It it is. I mean, and people probably just thought he was a really good actor. You know, how scary is that? That must happen a lot on movies, right? Where if somebody really is hurt like that. Yeah. Yeah. If it's a, it's a scene where they're supposed to be scared or hurt, which yeah. can be confusing. So one of the facts that I found creepy, I remember hearing this and just thinking, oh my gosh, that's not true. That can't be true. But it is true. Jo Beth Williams, she played the mother. You know the scene where it's raining and she falls in their in-ground pool and like it's all wet and muddy and all of the 
skeletons start popping up in the pool. Yes, and I remember them at the end, too. Like, at the end, there's, like, one blocking the door. Like, I think a whole coffin pops up and opens, and it's got one in it. Those were real. And, yes, that is super creepy. But I guess it's cheaper to buy real skeletons for movies. And I guess this is, like, super common. Movies generally have real skeletons because they're cheaper. Like, where are they getting these? I mean, is it bodies that are donated for for science? science? But it's not science. It's a movie. I don't know. But, you know, the weird thing is she thought they were fake when she was filming. She had no idea they were real. And, I mean, if you had never worked with that before, you would think they were fake. And somebody should always tell you that they're real. Like, yeah. They should be informed about that, I like that you're about she, to be near a real skeleton. Yeah. I wonder if she wouldn't have filmed it. And how did they not fall apart? Like, don't you think they'd fall apart? They must do something to them. Wire them together or something? Yeah. They were creepy, though. You know. It's definitely creepier knowing that they were real people at one time. I feel like maybe my science teacher in seventh grade could have been lying. I always kind of thought he was, but maybe he wasn't. Like, he thought that the skeleton that we had in our biology class was a real person. Yeah, maybe it was. Maybe. They remade Poltergeist in 2015, and I have not seen that movie. We did not watch that movie. But you've seen that movie. What did you think? I saw it at the movies, so it's been a while. Um, I liked it. I don't really remember a whole lot about it, so obviously it didn't stick with me as far as being scary, but I think it's different watching it with an adult mind than watching the first one with a child's mind, right? People say that weird things happened on that movie set as well. Lights would blow out on the set. They had drone pilots, and they always had issues with their drone signals. They rented a haunted house for the set. They thought it was actually haunted by a woman in black. So filming a movie about a haunted house when there's a real haunted house. That is. It's like a haunted house within a haunted house. (laughs) Do you remember Tangina? Is she the lady? The little lady? She is. I mean, she wasn't that old. You know what? Like, when I'm watching it, she's not that old. But when I was little, I sure thought she was old. (laughs) You know, she seemed old at the time because we were young. But I don't know. I just, like, picture, like, people that wear their hair up in buns like that were old back then. She was, like, so cute, though. Like, she was such a lovable character. She was. And her voice. This house is clean. (laughs) Her voice was uh, one of a kind. It was. What about the tree outside of the window? That was so creepy. That was scary to me, even though I was an adult for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just so, it's just so creepy because it's so big. Yeah. And, you know, the little boy was so little and it just reached and it just grabbed him. And he had said, like, the tree's watching me. And the dad was like, no, the tree is good. Blah, blah, blah. It's there to protect you. And I always remember what the dad told him when it was storming. He was afraid of the storm. Right. If you count between the thunder and lightning, then the storm is going away if the number is getting higher. Mm -hmm. I've never done that. Have you tried it? I did try it. Did it work? It did. I mean, I only tried it a couple of times, but it did work. I've never done that. I don't know if it's true. Let me just tell you, though, when I was watching this, 
Okay, when I watched it as a kid, clearly I did not notice the parents' relationship. But watching it as an adult, I'm like swooning over the husband. (laughs) Craig T. Nelson. (laughs) I mean, and he played such a sweet husband. They had just such a cute, and she was so sweet. Like, they had such chemistry. Like, it was such a cute relationship. They, They did have a good relationship. You know what part I always thought was cool when I was younger is how when the stuff first started, they were playing around with it when they were in the kitchen and they put Caroline in the helmet. Oh, yes. Go across the kitchen floor. Yes. She would just slide across. Yeah. The mom tried to get the dad to do it when he got home from work and he was just like staring at her like, what the hell? Like, there's no way. (laughs) He was so freaked out. All right. So let me ask, would you do it? I think I would. I would too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like you could only really know for sure when you're in that situation because that'd be terrifying, right? You'd be freaked out. In Poltergeist, chairs move and things like that and silverware bends. And that actually came from the Herman family haunting. And also when like everything is kind of swirling in the room, it's mm-hmm. going super fast, a globe comes bouncing. In the movie? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember that part. Yeah, so, so that's that like a, a nod, nod to the Herman cool. family haunting. Yeah. yeah. I like that. So, I mean, clearly, you know, all the stuff in Poltergeist didn't happen in the Herman family haunting. But yeah, it's like an unofficial, it's like an inspiration. You know, I think the most terrifying thing about Poltergeist when you really think about it is it took her. There's this scene where it's the TV and it's like, it's like an old rabbit ear TV. Mm-hmm. And the brother's, like, looking into it. He can hear Carol Ann. It's at some point throughout the movie, you can see her handprints from the inside of the TV. So it's like she's stuck in the TV, but she's really not in the TV. It's weird. You know, the part that I thought was funny, too, is at the very end when they go to the hotel and the dad puts the TV outside. Oh, my God. Yes, because that is such, you know, all the time you're watching movies and you're like, oh, my God, if they just went through that, they wouldn't be doing that. Yeah. So, like, of course, it's like, oh, they just went through that. They wouldn't want to be sitting in a room with a TV. And then they just, he wheels it out. And you're like, he did the right thing. <laughs> he did. It's better to be safe than sorry. I feel like. <laughs> he did the right thing. He just kicked the TV right out of the room. Thanks for listening. This house is clean. Bye. Bye.